welcome to Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we are talking about chapter 14 of The Subtle Knife, Alamo Gulch. bunch of sad highs today hi uh, we've been thinking about this chapter since we started reading the books and here we are we always knew that this time was going to come and and here we are should we start off on a, on a relatively light-hearted anecdote by telling the people how it was that i almost spoiled this for you but didn't yes yes <laughs> <laughs> The first time that I read the books, which was obviously not that long ago, uh, Rich, we tried to find the WhatsApp, didn't we? So it must have been in person, but Rich was saying to me, oh, whereabouts are you on the subtle knife? And I was like, oh, um, I'm just at the bit where uh, Lee and Joppery are like running away from the Zeppelins and Lee's just about to like have a fight on his own. And I was like, yeah, it's all fine. He's kicking ass. Yeah, I just stopped midway through the chapter. Yeah, like, I don't know why, because I never do that. I must have got, like, um, I must have been reading and I needed to do something else. And I just like, oh, shit, I've got to stop now or whatever, because I never do that. Because I had one page left. And it's obviously the page where Lee actually dies. And I was like, I just not got to that page yet. So I was like, yeah, I think it's going quite well. (laughs) And you were like, hmm... I think it was you were like oh I've nearly finished the book I've nearly finished the book and I kind of went like oh oh cool where's um where's Lee Scoresby right now and you were like oh he's just having a fight he's having a great time and I was like okay cool (laughs) and then literally the next day you sent me a text like what the fuck (laughs) cool 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 cool. it's all going really really well And also, I would just like to say that last chapter, when we were reading through that, I sent Rach so many like messages and voice notes being like, why is this chapter being so cruel to me? Especially the bit where like Lyra's like, oh, Lee Scoresby, I hope I get to see him again. And we handled it quite well in the episode, I think. <laughs> I actually, when I was editing it, editing it, I cut my noises out because you were reading that. And I was like in the background, like whimpering and I had to cut my track because I was like, we can't leave that in. (laughs) Being spoiler free is very, very hard when Phil insists on really depressingly foreshadowing (laughs) um, a main character's death. Thank you very much. (laughs) We did get our first ever tweet recently where somebody was like, proposition for you. When you finish the books, can you go through them again and just drop all the spoilers? I was like, maybe. We've maybe. still got a while to go. Yeah. A long ways away. So many spoilers still to be avoided. <laughs> but this is one of the big ones. And one of the big ones that I accidentally spoiled for my partner when we were watching the TV series because he's not read the books. And I think it's one that you accidentally spoiled for your partner at the time. Yeah. And we've spoiled it for a lot of people in real life but not on the podcast yeah yeah and do you know what when I spoiled it for for my uh, ex-partner it 
was not my fault because he was helping us with the video. Can you remember when we spoke to Kristen? Mm-hmm. And we must have, we mentioned it. And I think he was skipping through because we put the video up on Patreon for our patrons of, of our chat with Kristen. And he was skipping through just to make sure that like all the audio was aligned and all that kind of stuff. And he happened to skip through to the exact bit where I say, oh, and you know, like when Lee Scoresby dies and he was like, I've just been spoiled. And he wouldn't <laughs> tell me what, because there were two things. I'm not going to say the other thing that we could have spoiled because it is actually still a spoiler at this point. But there were two things that he could have been spoiled for. And he wouldn't tell me for ages what it was. And I was like, why won't you tell me? Like, he was just like, I don't want to. And I was like, but why? <laughs> just tell me. And I managed to get it out of him. And he was sad because uh, he hasn't read the books. He's only seen the TV show. And he obviously likes Lynn a lot and his portrayal. But yeah, we did spoil it for for both of them. I totally spoiled it when I was describing a super fun moment when I was busy bragging about the Lynn interview because we recorded that. Um, we got like screeners of the episode so that we could watch them all before we chatted to Lynn. So we saw it a little bit before it aired and I was saying to my partner how we'd ask Lynn like this great question of like, how does it feel to play characters that just insist on dying all the time? Like Hamilton and Lee Scoresby, like both iconically die at the end of their roles. And then Johnny was like, Lee Scoresby dies. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh shit. <laughs> just didn't think about it i was busy being like oh lynn told us that we asked a really great question (laughs) oh sorry johnny sorry so anyway before we uh get into this lovely 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 chapter how are you i'm good i think i mean aside from the fact that i've spent (laughs) the entirety of the last week uh crying and avoiding reading this chapter uh, (laughs) or struggling to read this chapter it's the first time it's taken me like three or four sit downs to like actually get through my notes in a really long time because <laughs> so, I just my brain just kept being like no 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 you don't want to read this sad page you want to scroll on TikTok for 10 minutes instead you want to go on Instagram and check your messages and I was like no I need to I need to read about Lee <laughs> yeah yeah same it took me a good long while to actually get all my notes down because it was just sad <laughs> it's so sad mm-hmm We've been good though. I saw Faye in human real life person at the at the pub the other week. That was a very few nice. times, which has been lovely. Yeah. Although we did, I had a fairly traumatic experience after the pub one day where it turned out that I was allergic to some antibiotics. I was taking and ended up in the hospital, so that was fun. Faye had a very dramatic night, or not that dramatic because nothing happened, and then you got sent home. <laughs> but very frustrating yes I'm fine don't worry about me thankfully thankfully I am okay but it was a very long annoying night of being in A&E woohoo yeah (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's like life knows that you've not done anything in ages so it tries to pack a bunch of drama into the few things that you you do do now yeah yeah (laughs) I was really mad as well because like obviously I'd not we'd planned this like Friday for like a long time and like I was really looking forward to it and then I it it was just fucked up by me feeling like absolute ass all day but you know I'm okay so that's that's what matters yeah yeah and I saw you again the following week and I got very very drunk and was very very over the next day and completely lost the next day and despite the fact that every time this happens I tell myself I'm not gonna drink that much again you want to feel nice the next day it never works because in the moment I'm like having so much fun <laughs> yeah I feel like we've done a little switcheroo recently 
I'm usually the one that like drinks too much and gets really drunk. And you're usually the one that's like more careful. But I feel like I've been the more careful one of the two of us. And that is very strange. Yeah, I think it's just that my tolerance has completely just gone down the pan, really. (laughs) I don't drink at home particularly. And so, yeah, when I go out and have an actual actual pint, oh, lovely. She very had a whale of a time, though. I um, we got home and realised that we've realised that we'd bought some um, shoe buns, chocolate shoe buns, like earlier in the day that we'd put in the fridge and we'd forgotten to eat. So I got home like quite drunk and then just ate a massive shoe bun and was like, yes. I feel like I've got a picture <laughs> of you eating said shoe bun. You do, and if you zoom in, you can see that I've got cream on my nose. Nice, nice, <laughs> very it. messy. It was great, <laughs> but yeah, not really been doing that much else. We had a big mic issue, which is sorted now. But yes. that was very annoying, which means that we're recording this episode a lot later than we usually would. So we've got a, a distinctly less amount of time to get it ready and out into the world, which is typical because it's the biggest chapter of this book. <laughs> it's like, hey, why don't you just have no time at all to put it together? <laughs> yeah, but also it meant that I could periodically avoid reading the chapter and avoiding the inevitable ensuing sadness so <laughs> put that off for as long as possible didn't we <laughs> true we we did yeah we did um but we we did it here we are you know what i mean we're doing it we're gonna do it we are we are we'll do it will we we will <laughs> all may or may not be well we'll find <laughs> out <laughs> not quite sure how this one's gonna go but do bear with us we will try our best to make it through to the end for you this, this could be broken down into two podcasts just because we can't finish it. Uh, yeah, just the same of like how we did the notes. Like we'll just have to do like five or six podcast episodes because we just refuse to get to the end of the chapter. It'd be like this podcast only covers up until the last three pages of the chapter and we'll just save the last three pages of the chapter to, and do like a really quick like one minute podcast where we just say, yes, it's very, very sad and then move on. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that genuinely probably is my basis for this conversation on this chapter is just, it's very sad and every time I read it, it makes me cry. Mm-hmm. Remember when we recorded the episode for the TV show episode that covers this chapter and I cried in that, so I'm probably going to cry in this. I'm ready for it. Don't you worry. It'll be fine. We'll be fine. It'll be fine. Do you, do you want to tell me what you're doing? Sorry. Hey, Faye. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> what would your demon have been this week? I am very sorry for this. It's going to be a hair. Oh, Faye. I know, I know. I was writing my notes and I was like, I've got to do it. I feel like, it feels like, you know, in the last chapter where Pan turns into a rabbit for that poor little rabbit that they like slit down the centre mm-hmm. to see if the spell is working. I feel like my demon would have taken the shape of a hair this week for our darling dear Hester. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> what, would your, what would your demon be this week? I mean, on a similar note, oh, I, was looking, I was looking for animals that cry. <laughs> <laughs> and I found out that there's a little tiny, it's kind of like a deer, a little tiny deer called a Damara Dick Dick. A dick dick. D I K D I K. A dick dick. And they mark their territory with tears, which feels like what I've been doing this week. That is so fucking emo. That is so great, isn't it? I fucking love that. I'll send you a picture of one because they're really cute. Basically, they're really cute and they cry. 
<laughs> to mark their territory, oh, which feels like the story of my life. <laughs> also, they're really tiny, and I have a distinct memory of going to the... Is it Graves? Graves Zoological Museum? There's a zoological museum near, in, like, Holborn, St Pancrasie area, and they have loads of, like, historical specimen from all over the world, and one of the things they have is a dick dick skull, and it's so small. They're so small. Like, you could hold the skull of this animal in the palm of your hand. <laughs> Look at their big eyes. Perfect for all those tears that they're crying. Yes. <laughs> oh, cute. Yeah, they've got big eyes, and then they've got those, like, little kind of teardrop shapes that come down in the middle as well, just for that added emo vibe. Love it. Very cute. This week, I have been mostly marking my territory with tears. Thank you very much. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I don't really want to ask this because I know the answer is no, but do you want to get into this episode? I suppose we've got to at some point, haven't we? <laughs> we knew. We knew that this would happen when we started the podcast. It's our own fucking fault. The day has come. The day has come. Okay. Here we go. Let's get into it. <laughs> Let's do it. Last chapter, the witches tried to heal Will's hand with a spell. Will opened up to Lyra and shared stories of his life with his mother, her mental health, and their experiences of being the victims of bullying from some horrible children. Ruta Scardi dropped in, literally, and told them of her Asriel finding adventure, the war that is to come, and a mysterious someone or something called the Aesahetra that will help win Asriel the war. A sleeping Will and Lyra were surrounded by angels in an eerie tableau as Serafina and Ruta made their plans. In this chapter, Philip Pullman breaks our hearts by killing off one of his most beloved characters. Me and Faye quit the podcast forever and refuse to ever read these books again. We're done. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm wrong either. No, no. I'm not picking up any books ever again if this is what happens in them. <laughs> Here we go. Let's do it. We start and we're back with Lee and Joppery slash Grumman. I know that it's, he's always referred to as Grumman, but I just like the word Joppery better, so I'm just going with Joppery. Okay. <laughs> My notes uh, fluctuate between Grumman and Joppery depending on how I feel about him. If he's doing something nice, I tend to go with Joppery. If he's being a bit of a prick, I tend to go with Grumman. Fair, fair. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Okay, okay. It's been a couple of days since they left uh the is it the yenisei 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 river yenisei river yenisei and they're in the world of Ch uh, they're in the world that chitagatse is in so they have crossed lee asks is this a new world and again I, he's grumming in my notes here because grumming can't just give a straight answer he has to be like <coughs> new to those not born in it as old as yours or mine otherwise though like Mate, just say yeah. <laughs> he must be very frustrating to be around in the sense of that, like, he can't just answer a simple fucking question. And he's, like, really cocky and it's very annoying. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is here to, like, as some, like, light relief for a chapter that's otherwise quite heavy in terms of this various sassy and sarcastic comments. 
peppered throughout the beginning of this chapter which is like okay <laughs> yeah I just feel I feel like that's really something though that gets under my skin when people don't give straight answers so like when I was reading it I was like this is just fucking pissing me off like I don't view it as light relief I view it as oh my god you are so fucking annoying just answer the question yeah it's really pedantic mm. it's very patronizing as well mm. especially saying like uh it's not new to the people that have lived in it forever and it's like okay it's new to me bitch it's not the question i was asking there was it (laughs) so they go through this whole thing where like lee is surprised that there's not any adults there and he sees the specters and obviously this is the first time that uh, lee has ever seen or heard of specters yes and as they're floating over um and lee's noticing the children uh, the description of what the children are doing is quite interesting. So it's uh, the children were playing on the beach or running about in cafes or eating and drinking, gathering bags full of goods from houses and shops. And there was a group of boys fighting and a red-haired girl urging them on and a little boy throwing stones to smash all of the windows of a nearby building. It was like a playground the size of a city with not a teacher in sight. It was a world of children. Harking back to that chapter title, I think, from a child... Is it a child? Oh, yeah, Children's World. world. And then also, do we think that the little redhead girl that's egging on the fight is Angelica? And do we think that the little boy smashing windows is Paolo? Yes, 100%. Okay, cool. Just checking. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, yes. There's a bit here where it describes there's a a boy around adolescence that like the spectres are surrounding because he's just coming of age. And it's interesting that it says that he can't see them, but every now and again, he'll do like a little, what's it say? He'll, um, he'd brush his eyes or shake his head to clear his vision, which is interesting. Also, it says that this boy has a shock of black hair, which really reminds me of drink Harry Potter, because that's how he is always described in the books. Ah. It always says that Harry has a shock of black hair, which, again, made me want to say and remind people that we may compare things to Harry Potter because we grew up with it, but in no way, we've said this before, but just to reiterate, because it's always good to reiterate, we are in no way in support of J.K. Rowling. She is a fucking transphobic bully and the things that she is doing are fucking horrendous for the trans community and fuck J.K. Rowling, she's the fucking worst. Absolutely. I think the same can be said for whenever we repeatedly mention Buffy in terms of being like... The show Buffy was influential on our lives, but we in no way like Joss Whedon. He is a trash human, as is J.K. Rowling. We do not care for them. Uh, We appreciate the content that was created and the impact it had on our lives at the point at which we experienced it, etc. And the communities that have formed from them, just like these books, were all about the content and not as much about the creator of the content, because once it's out in the world, it's for the community to do with it what we want. And I'm loving our community. (laughs) Me too. So yeah, fuck J.K. Rowling, fuck Joss Whedon. Let's crack on. Now that that's been said. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I think I even had a note somewhere in this chapter about uh, Dementors. So I'm Me glad too. that we got it out, out there early on. <laughs> I wonder if it's around the same... I'm sure it is around the same bit, but yeah, that was my other <laughs> note. I want to put us both on watch for the rest of the chapter because Philip Pullman does a lot of morbid wording throughout this chapter. I feel like even if it's not obvious, he does a couple of slightly more obvious hints towards what happens at the end of the chapter, but he seems to be like really settling on morbid metaphors. So like when he's referring to how the spectres are swarming around this boy, he refers to it as like flies around meat 
And there's lots of little bits like that that I've kind of picked up on as I've been reading, where it's like he could have gone for a different metaphor, but he went for something to do with meat, blood, flesh, death, all these like really visceral metaphors for things that aren't actually super necessary, but put you in a really morbid frame of mind for the chapter. I hadn't really noticed that, but can I, while we're talking about watching out for things, I'm going to add to that um can we watch out for how many times uh, phil has lee touch hester or hester and lee have like a really like touchy emotional moment which they would never have up until obviously at the end where it's kind of warranted but in other chapters you've never really seen them touch that much i think like maybe once lee put Hester into his coat but there's very much a lot of them like actually physically touching in this chapter Mm -hmm. so let's watch out for that as well so Joffrey like explains spectres compares them to vampires which is interesting with a y vampire in Buffy excuse me sorry vampires (laughs) how dare I (laughs) the uh, episode in season seven is it story the storyteller storyteller yeah storyteller where Andrew is being like a guy in a in an armchair in front of a fire and he's like Buffy slayer of the, the vampires. vampires that just that's that for me uh, no matter what with a why yep absolutely <laughs> same it's very interesting the way that um he describes them so the specter's feast is vampires feast on blood but the specter's food is attention a conscious and informed interest in the world the immaturity of children is less attractive to them they're the opposite of those devils at, at Bolvanger then on the contrary, the oblation board and the spectres of indifference are both bewitched by this truth about human beings, that innocence is different from experience. The oblation board fears and hates dust and the spectres feast on it, but it's dust they're both obsessed by. I really like it for just really clearly spelling out what we've been suspecting this whole time. I'm here for it. I'm here for him saying the spectres of indifference again. It clearly is their like full title. Band name. And uh, the band name that we will <laughs> yeah. be finding a use for somehow. <laughs> Lee really wants to help the kids and Joppery is I wrote indifferent but I don't think that's the right way like the right word to describe it but he's very much like this is just how this world works like this is just how it is we can't do anything about it oh there's a word for it Mm. there's a word for it. it's like matter of fact slash jaded but it's not either of those words it's going to frustrate me that I can't think of it. Like pragmatic, but not pragmatic. Yeah, kind of, yeah. I'm sure somebody will tell us hopefully what that word, yeah. what the word there's, is. There's a word. <laughs> yeah. But there's a really beautiful uh, Lee quote here, which is probably one of my favourite Lee quotes. And it's a Lee quote that I see come up a lot um, from other people in the fandom. So Joppery says, Mr. Scoresby, that is the way this world works. And if you want to put an end to cruelty and injustice, you must take me further on. I have a job to do. Seems to me, Lee said, feeling for the words, seems to me the place you fight cruelty is where you find it and the place you give help is where you see it needed. Or is that wrong, Dr. Grumman? I'm only an ignorant aeronaut. I'm so damn ignorant. I believe it when I was told that shamans had the gift of flight, for example. Yeah, here's a shaman who who hasn't. So the excellent quote is obviously the place you find fight cruelty is where you find it, where you find it. And the place you give help is where you see it needed. That's really beautiful. But I also just couldn't stop reading because I like the way that he just fucking boom rests him <laughs> at the end of that sentence. Yes, yeah. And that well, that leads us to the like bit that's one of our favourite moments with Andrew Scott in the TV series where he's like, oh, but I am flying. I needed to fly. Here you are. Now I'm flying. And it's like, all right. 
sassy pants. Right, this is the thing because like I stir the line with Jopperay in the sense that like obviously like I was saying at the at the beginning of the chapter when we were talking about him never answering a fucking question properly, that annoys the fuck out of me. But like when he says things like, I needed to fly and here you are flying me, I'm like, huh. I love that. So, like, I, it, I the cockiness. I have to like. I really tear the line with whether I think it's hilarious or it really annoys me. Yeah, <laughs> it's like from the right person, it's hilarious. From the wrong person, get out. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a bit here again for me. Actually, a lot of Harry Potter c- comparisons came up in this chapter, and this one's about Joppery. So the they're flying in the balloon. The tower in Chittagatsi is like directly in their path, and it says. Uh, Joppery, he was fully aware of the peril that they were in, but he held back from implying that the aeronaut wasn't. And in perfect time, Lee Scoresby leant over the side of the basket and pulled the cord on one of the bags of ballast. And that made me really think about Dumbledore from Harry Potter. I think it's a very Dumbledore attribute to be like calm, never giving, never giving all of the information. Dumbledore is very much like that as well. Never giving the full information, never answering questions straightforwardly, trusting really implicitly that Lee's going to sort this out, that they're not going to fly into the tower. And like maybe his like shaman abilities come into it a little bit here, but it really reminded me that would definitely be something that Dumbledore would do. He's a very trusting person and you get the sense that he knows something more than everybody else does. Um, so he's more willing to let things just happen as they're going to happen rather than jumping in and being like, there's a tower in the way. Yeah, it's also just like trusting the driver, right? Like the worst thing you can do if you're like driving in a car with somebody and you like see something that makes you be like, ooh, is actually go, ooh, because the driver may well have already clocked it and be avoiding it. But you going, ooh, makes them think there's some other danger and it makes the whole situation more dangerous than just being like not saying anything and letting them handle driving. <laughs> Yeah. Although there is a point to that where it's like, well, what if they haven't seen it? <laughs> true, true. It depends how skittish you are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a bit where Joppery says, life is hard, but we cling to it all the same. I was like, all right, mate, like, stop reading me. <laughs> and that makes me think of Buffy. The hardest thing in this world is to live in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all, it's quote palooza here it this is. week. <laughs> it truly is. There's an interesting moment where, I don't love it, Lee mentions that like Grumman has a strange way about him and asks if he's ever spent any time among the witches and Grumman's like oh yes witches academians spirits I found folly everywhere but there are grain grains of wisdom in every stream of it no doubt there's much more wisdom that I fail to recognize life is hard but we cling to it all the same I just don't love that he's like yeah everywhere I went everyone was stupid and I just took the good bits and left them <laughs> I didn't appreciate that but I love Lee's question of being like, and this journey we're on, is it folly or wisdom? And it kind of leads us back to this thing of like Lee's whole point, which is, is what I'm doing good for Lyra? Is this actually going to help Lyra? Because Grumman slash Parry believes that this is the greatest journey, the greatest purpose, the greatest wisdom. But Lee is still just like, yes, but again, he's dancing around the point. He's refusing to give a straight answer here where he says, you know, will this protect Lyra? Oh, it'll protect all of us. Just say you'll protect Lyra. (laughs) It's frustrating because he's kind of, he's not giving a straight answer, but he's also trying to avoid responsibility for the promise that he made to Lee. Like rather than saying like, 
I will protect Lyra for you and this will protect Lyra. So yeah, if it's going to protect everyone, then yeah, of course it will protect Lyra because Lyra's included in that. But the fact that he's not saying, I will keep my word and this thing will protect Lyra and I will make sure it does, I'm just not happy about the way that he said it because it just feels like he's not bothered about Lyra. And it's like, why should he be? He doesn't know her. Like, But he should keep his word to, to Lee, at least. And that's frustrating. Yeah, like you made a deal. You need to, and Lee's checking that the deal is still sound and you're not giving him a straight answer, which makes me think the deal isn't that sound. Yeah, exactly. They flirt away from Chit. They've been flying over the city of Chittagatse. They, they start to like flirt away from it. This is the first bit where we see Lee pick up Hester and put her in his coat. Which is just too cute. Yep, yep. And then he sees another balloon. Basically, the enemies are after them. Well, a balloon that's definitely bigger than them is in the distance and they know that it's probably looking for them and probably will have seen them and lee has to decide whether to go up or down up to catch the breeze to go faster or down to kind of blend into the landscape more and not be seen but he's pretty certain they've been spotted so they go up and then they see the balloon that's following them shoot off a flare they definitely know they've been seen and that they're going to get followed and that probably more people are coming Lee asks Joppery to summon a quicker breeze, but then obviously sum- summoning a quicker breeze will also make the other balloon go faster. Like, it's not particularly yeah. helpful. <laughs> obviously, it will get them to where they need to go a little bit faster, but it also gets the other balloon to where they're going a little bit faster as well. <laughs> yeah. And they are headed to the mountains across the bay, which is exactly where Lyra and Will were headed with the witches. Doesn't it just make all this just so much sadder? Yep. Thinking about how close they actually were to seeing and getting to Lyra. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's fine. Okay, we're doing fine. We're doing fine. Yeah. My next note was just, I was just being silly. I wanted some light relief. So I was mentioning that the, when Lee asks for a stiffer breeze, Grumman, that's where in the TV series, Andrew Scott goes, leave the wind to me. Yes, yes. I, I, was, I was kind of sad that it actually wasn't in the book, but yeah. it's fine. I'll get over it. I'll get over it. I, I think maybe Phil wrote it down for the book and went, no, that sounds too much like a fart joke. <laughs> and then took it out, but they didn't do that in the TV series. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Uh, yes. So there's Zeppelins. Now, it's not just a balloon. There's Zeppelins as well. So the situation's like this, Dr. Grumman, he said. I do not want to be caught aloft by those Zeppelins. There ain't no defence. They'd have us down in a minute. Nor do I want to land in the water, by free choice or not. We could flirt for a while, but they could pick us off with grenades as easy as fishing. So I want to reach those hills and make a landing. I can see some forest now. We can hide among the trees for a spell, maybe a long time. This is where Lee, he, like, they know it's going to end in a shooting. Like, it's just going to end in a shootout. That just seems to be the only option that they can like think that it's going to end in i do kind of love this little section it's like three or four paragraphs of lee just being like okay tactical survival mode i'm assessing the situation and you might be a big fancy shaman you might be the person telling us where to go and what to do but i'm the aeronaut here and i have this is my plan to get us as safe as possible and i just kind of like that he just like isn't uncertain at all in this moment because he knows he can completely he can like scope it all out and it's just like using all his balloon skills yeah exactly just get all those balloon skills in 
right before the end. He asks he asks Grumman if he's ever landed in a balloon, and the shaman says, "No, but I trust your skills." Have you ever landed in a balloon, Faye? Have I ever landed in a balloon? Yeah. No. I have. <laughs> Is that why you asked me? I thought it was a trick question. Yes, I was I like, "What did you do?" Have I landed? Have I landed in a balloon? I forgot. I'm about. sorry, it wasn't this up to a joke. It really should have been. <laughs> yeah. Now tell us about the time you landed in a balloon, Ridge. I did a. I went in a balloon on or for my like 18th birthday. Wow. It was like a my my sister and my mum went in a balloon for their 18th and thir- like and 50th like combined birthday presents and then my dad and me turned 18 and 50 in the same year as well so we went in a balloon for us and it was a big patchwork rainbow balloon that flew over the peak district and we landed just the other side of Sheffield and landing in a balloon is really fucking scary. <laughs> Why tell tell me so the balloon basket that we were in, because it was like a classic hot air balloon basket, is kind of broken up into like, it's a big square basket broken up into nine quadrants. So with like smallish barriers between them. So like me and my dad were stood in like a ninth of this balloon. And then there was like some other people in like the next bit so that we could all kind of lean out and see over the edges. And there's lots of like little rings and stuff that you can hold on to for balance and stuff but when you're landing they're just like okay so we're gonna aim to land standing up but there's a very good chance we'll tip over so be ready to kind of crawl out of this thing (laughs) from on its side and like we will get dragged across the ground a fair ways and at some point it could tip over (laughs) you're just like okay "Okay, cool (laughs) sure um it is quite scary probably more so if you're mr scoresby and Joppery getting chased at the same time in a storm but as is balloon landings are scary on a calm day let alone yeah I love that you just called him Mr Scoresby Mr Scoresby oh (laughs) so this is the thing that like I really don't like about this it says like a couple of like a couple of hours go by and they're just getting slowly chased by like this other balloon and these zeppelins and it sounds like the most fucking like anxiety ridden thing ever i'd rather get chased at like fucking full speed and it'd be over in a couple of minutes than just be chased for hours really slowly like that sounds awful (laughs) excruciating it's like they're chased for hours so they just make a pot of coffee (laughs) like well what else can you do at some point you just gotta like get on with it aren't you and just be normal but like god it's fucking awful yeah it only works well because it's in a book right if they actually had them like the really slow chase in the tv series (laughs) wouldn't have worked very well but yeah like I think it must be really either it kind of inoculates you to the level of stress because you have to be stressed for two hours like if you're really really scared of flying I imagine the worst part of flying is the first like hour or so that you're actually flying and if it's like a 10 hour flight you might get the chance to get used to your own stress level in the like eight hours in between before you get stressed again before landing I don't actually know how it is because I'm not super scared of flying, but I have a few friends who are. And I think the longer ones in some ways are slightly better because you have to just check out for the middle portion. But yeah, it's like that, but being chased. Mm, mm. So flying is an interesting one for me because I never used to be scared of flying and I'm still not. The only thing, the only thing that I really don't like about flying is taking off because it's just like this plane, this is fucking massive and really heavy and it should not be able to be in the sky right now so I don't like taking off and like the bit where you take off and like you're still quite close to the ground and like you're going up and up and up but then as soon as it levels out I'm fine and I don't mind landing either because it's like you're going down one way or the other aren't you do you know what I mean like, 
sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, the main thing that upsets me about flying is the way it makes your stomach drop. Like when you do start to land and when it makes your ears pop and stuff, like the general Ugh. discomfort, I'm not a fan of. Ears popping, no thank you, the worst. Yeah. And Anywho, anywho, anywho. a slow chase, we're not into it. So there are four Zeppelins chasing them, there's a storm coming and they need to land, the balloon needs to land ASAP. I bloody love a storm and there's a great description. And then a dark green curtain of rain drifted down and hung from the clouds and the storm seemed to be chasing the zeppelins as they were chasing Lee's balloon. For the rain swept along towards them from the sea and as the sun finally vanished, a mighty flash came from the clouds and several seconds later, a crash of thunder so loud it shook the very fabric of Lee's balloon and echoed back for a long time from the mountains. I fucking love a storm. One of the best storms I ever saw was when I was in Florida. Obviously, there have a lot of storms in Florida. And I was in a hotel and I was going down. Like everyone was like indoors because it's like super rainy, but like really hot and like forked lightning everywhere. But we were really hungry and we didn't have any food. So I went down to, there was like an outdoor like bar food area. And this woman, this really lovely Southern woman was like, oh my God, I can't do the accent. So I'm not going to try. But she was like, oh my God, darling, what are you doing outside? Get back to your room. It's so dangerous out here. And I was like, but I'm really hungry. <laughs> I think, especially as Brits, we have a very um, different perception of storms, right? Because whilst we do have like a lot of different weather here, we don't tend to get a lot of extreme weather here. So like when you're saying like a th- like oh a proper good thunderstorm, we're just talking like relatively high winds, really heavy rain, maybe some good like thunder strikes and stuff. We're not talking like tropical storms that you get in other countries that are really actually genuinely terrifying so like we have the luxury of being able to enjoy a stormy day when you can just look out the window and like count the distance between the thunder and the lightning like when you're a kid and like yeah I am like we haven't had a good storm in London at least for the whole time that I've lived here and I'm very upset by it because I just want a really good storm didn't we have one like a week ago yeah but it was crap it lasted for like five <laughs> <Okay>. minutes <laughs> on the on the scale of like Faye rating recent storms it was like a three it was crap it was like three thunder crashes and like two lightnings that is not that's not good enough for me it has to go on for hours where i can just sit and be like look also i feel like vantage point needs to be taken into account as well because when i lived in my old flat we were on the third floor so like if there was a storm i could kind of see over the city so i could see it all but like where i am now i can't really see that much so i don't have a very good vantage point so unless there's uh, we don't get forked lightning much in england either it's usually uh, sheet lightning if there is forked lightning which is very very rare if i see it out my window like it's gonna have to be in my fucking back garden for me to see it do you know what i mean because i haven't got a good like vantage <laughs> yeah. of of um of the city anymore sometimes i used to sit on youtube and watch storm videos <laughs> is that weird <laughs> No. I used to work in a gift shop where one of the many classic gift shop CDs that we sold was called like Piano and Lightning or like Piano and Thunder. And it was the sound of like classical piano, but with storms in the background. That sounds amazing. That's a that's a thing. Is it on Spotify? I will try and find the album for you and send it to you if I <laughs> Please can find do. it. Like we yeah, we had like a little CD machine with all the different buttons that you could press for a sample of each track but that was the only music we had at the front of the gift shop so I got very very bored of it but the only one that I could cope with on a long-term basis was the piano and storms one love it also pretty emo yeah (laughs) 
So enough about storms. The, a strike of lightning brings down one of the Zeppelins and we learn that Joppery brought the storm. Yes. He is sitting in the corner looking a l- quite tired, actually, from having gone to all the effort of making this storm, which is great. And Lee's, like, simultaneously, like, good good job, but, but also not s- trusting his skills to the degree where he's not a little bit scared that they're also going to get struck by lightning because he's like, I get that he's controlling the storm, but is he controlling it? accurately <laughs> yeah he um he's a lot less trusting in in Joppery than Joppery is in him yeah I feel like that makes sense right <laughs> and I feel like also Joppery is a shaman so I feel like some of his shaman skills are at work when he's like oh I trust you I feel like he has he has sight of what's gonna happen potential not everything but like some bits I feel like he has sight of yeah in fact quite a few times across this chapter has Joppery said I trust you Mr Scoresby because then when Lee says like are are you ready to like are you ready to jump when we like get close to the ground like I'll make it and and he just says I trust you Mr Scoresby so he kind of is making a lot of point of being like I've put a lot of faith in you here Mr Scoresby (laughs) yeah he does he says it a few times doesn't he Lee says he's going to concentrate on landing the balloon and I put Lee does some balloon stuff for the last time sad face I also put a note on um, the only control he had now was the gas valve. He couldn't go higher. He could only descend. As this chapter will only descend from here on <laughs> <True>. out. <laughs> I just so many of my notes are like just just as I will our moods. <laughs> I can only descend from here. Yeah. There's a really good quote here, which I love, which is, Lee was too cool by nature to rage at fate. His manner was to raise an eyebrow and greet it laconically, but he couldn't help a flicker of despair now when the one thing he should do, namely fly before the storm and let it blow itself out, was the one thing guaranteed to get them shot down. Oh, Lee. And then he picks up Hester again. Yep. I have a question for you. Do we think that when Lee goes coat shopping, he specifically can only buy coats that have space for a bunny in the front? (laughs) Well, that's... I I can't remember if we've raised this question before, but in Lyra's world, do clothes, like, make room for demons? Do you think you'd buy specific clothes that have, if you've got a small demon, obviously, like, bigger pockets that your demon can go in, or, like, bigger sleeves so that you snake? Because, obviously, can you remember when we spoke to Caroline? I think she did mention... I think maybe Boreal's sleeves were like always a little bit bigger so that the snake could could go into them. So do you think that that's a thing that actually in Lyra's world they would make clothes that are big enough for demons to to get into? I feel like surely, surely that would be so sweet. But yeah, Lee going like jacket shopping and being like, which one's got the best space for Hester? Would like And like trying it on and being like, come on girl, hop in. Is it comfy? Oh. <laughs> do we get this one or the other one? <sighs> It makes me think of um, those little, like, baby papooses <laughs> that, like, you put on your front. Yes. Oh. Contrastingly, I was thinking of the cat hoodies that you can get where they literally come with, like, a kangaroo pouch kind of hoodie pocket on the front that you can put your cat in. And how interesting that you went to babies and I went straight to cat. <laughs> I love babies. That's, that's my jam. <laughs> I wrote a note that said, he scoops up Hester again. Stop doing this to us, Phil. <laughs> just I mean, stop it yes 
the image of Grumman's demon sat on the edge of the basket with her feathers being blown all over <laughs> the place, but still looking really serious, uh, does it for me at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, it's yeah, great. Yeah. So he's gonna Lee's gonna lower the balloon and they need to be ready to jump when he says, because it's not gonna be a smooth landing at all. He lets all the gas out of the bag and the wind like fucking flies them all over the place and they haven't got a fucking clue whether they're going up or down or whatever. Sounds very scary and also like it would probably make me want to be sick. And then the basket gets snagged in the trees. Yeah, he like le- like throws out like a grappling hook or like a grapple thing to like snag the trees and get themselves caught so that they can descend in a controlled way. And one of my notes at this point is if they're ever going to do... Uh, his Dark Materials theme park, this would actually make for a really good ride. <laughs> you have like Lee's balloon and like you'd go up and you'd have like a nice little, you know, when you're like going up the roller coaster, it's like, oh, picturesque, you can see the whole theme park from here. And then you like get to the top and then it would be like, um, you'd be at the top in, in your like Lee's balloon and then it'd be like, oh no, cliff gas. And like a scary like cliff gas would come up. It'd be like simultaneously ghost train and then also like, weather ride kind of thing and then you'd like go down you'd have to crash and like whenever the like grapple hook like captures on a tree branch that would be when the ride would like bump or do like an extra jolt or whatever and i just think it would be a good ride (laughs) nice it reminds me simultaneously of two rides one at animal kingdom in disney world and one in universal studios so in animal kingdom in disney world oh what's the fucking name of it Uh, expedition everest um you're like in a little car and you're going up a hill and that is a really good ride and like halfway up you can see like all of disney world and like all of universal studios you're like super high up and then you get to a point where like the tracks are broken and you're like oh my god what we can't go oh, any no. further <laughs> like what and then like a big yeti comes out and you go backwards and like it's it's great um oh, cool. and then also in universal studios the um harry potter ride that's in hogwarts castle which when i went on it when it first opened was one of the best rides that i've ever gone on i think that was god when would that have been 2010 ish ride technology is like come leaps and bounds since then but like it's like half cgi half realistic props so like you're going through hogwarts castle and like you're on a broomstick they filmed with daniel radcliffe and rupert grin and like emma watson so like they're all in it and stuff yeah it's kind of similar to to what you mentioned and i feel like it would be like that watch it watch a run through of that ride and you'll see what i mean it's very like sometimes there's props sometimes it's cgi but it's like you're going this way and that and then you're getting caught on stuff and then you're in the you're getting hit by the whomping willow and all that kind of stuff it's fun that's fun (laughs) yeah i feel like you could do some really good hdm themed rides when we um win the lottery and make a hdm themed theme park we know what one of the rides is going to (laughs) be absolutely i think in my future plans to win the lottery (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's what i'll spend on (laughs) <laughs> okay so they they've stopped the they're caught in the trees now and they need to figure out how to get out yeah so they decide to like climb down and once the basket's kind of like settled where it's going to settle in the tree and Jopper's demon goes down to find out how far away the ground is and that kind of takes leah back again because he's like oh your demon can go that far from you that's surprising which is interesting but kind of doesn't dwell on it because like it might be rude to ask (laughs) and also it's just not really the time is it yeah (laughs) when they're like trying to not die in this tree so they climb down a rope ladder and lee says thank you to the tree which is really cute oh i know (laughs) i could just literally just imagine if he'd be like thank you ma'am 
Thank you, ma'am. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> to yeah. a tree. And they've got to do some uh, manual labor to get the uh, the gas bag out from the top of the trees because, like, obviously they say that it's just going to be like a fucking sign that's like, "Here we are, bitch." Like, if they leave it on top of the trees, they're going to know where they are. So they got to they got to pull that shit back in. The image of Lee kind of in like the semi suspended basket among the tree trying to pull down the like uh the gas bag from the canopy and like all of the like existing in a in a vessel that's crashed into the treetops makes me think of Jurassic Park. I feel like there's a bit where either somebody paraglides into the canopy and then something to do with dinosaurs happens or it's like a plane that's crashed and it's stuck in the canopy of the trees. I can't remember which, but it just it's been a l- long time since i've seen jurassic park the two bits i remember for jurassic park guy getting eaten on the toilet kids hiding in the kitchen when the velociraptors come in yeah yeah but there's definitely a bit i don't know if it's jurassic park jurassic i don't think it's jurassic world but which like whichever one of the i don't necessarily think it was the first one but i think it's the same one where the kid it's like the boy's been living on the island on his own for a while because maybe his parents are finding him because he got stuck there in like a paragliding accident i can't remember but there's this whole thing of someone being like suspended up in the trees and in avatar the last airbender when appa gets like dragged down into the swamp and then he's all like suspended in all these swamp vines above the trees and they have to cut him down and then he lots of things of people getting trapped in in canopies (laughs) but lee manages to get the bag down and by the time he gets down joffrey set up a tent started a fire and he's making some coffee these guys love coffee <laughs> they really do and it's really cute when lee asks him if he did the fire by magic and he's like no boy scouts <laughs> no be prepared yeah <laughs> the zeppelins are like flying overhead looking for them and a flare set off again so they're like oh we should really put this fire out like just in case and lee goes to sleep my question here is should they have not established a watch? Lee's going to sleep. And I know that Joffrey is like doing his like magic shit. But then there's a point later where they're, bur- where they're both asleep. And it's like, should not one of them have stayed up to watch? I also don't get why they're s- stopping to sleep. Uh, oh, <laughs> are they not tired? I mean, they might be, but like they're literally being, they're literally being chased. Like if they didn't if they didn't stop to sleep they might have found the pass and gotten further like their plan was just to hide in the trees it's like but don't you think that they're going to keep searching for you mm, very true actually i'd not even thought about that i'm not blaming them both for the situation but i do think and they probably did need to sleep but also like why didn't they sleep why didn't they have a 2 hour nap in the balloon while they were just awkwardly floating <laughs> Very true. There's a bit where, like, Lee says, like, oh, I'm going to sleep, but he's, like, soaking wet, and Joffrey's like, oh, you'll dry in your sleep. And it reminded me of when I went to Canada and we did a trip where we went uh, kayaking and we slept in um, on Vancouver Island in a tent in the woods and we were all fucking drenched because it had been raining all day and I had to sleep in wet clothes and everything was soaking wet and it was the most disgusting experience because it was just like it wasn't cold like it was pretty warm but like you're fucking freezing a lot of us put like our clothes outside to dry but because it's a rainforest it's it stopped raining but it felt like it was still raining because it, it was so dense that just like all the drops from the from the rain were just cascading down the leaves and into the, the forest and i was like for fuck's sake it's the most like irritating awful feeling like waking up in the morning and then putting back 
on wet clothes. Oh, vile. Oh, yeah, no, thank you. It just doesn't sound like a, a conducive environment just having a good night's sleep either. Like, also, you're going to wake up at that awkward point at, like, three or four in the morning where it's, the night is at its coldest and you're still going to be damp at that point. It can't be good for you. He's going to catch a cold. <laughs> He's going to catch a cold. Yeah, he is. So we now get to the section of the chapter, which is essentially, is Lee dreaming or is he seeing things? And he has a really weird set of dreams. Mm-hmm. He does. He does. So we we kind of learn that these dreams, they're not, um, they're real. Like, we learn that they're real. The one thing that I wanted to to ask is the bit, the very first bit where, like, Lee looks over at Joppery and, like, Joppery's on fire and it's, like, his skeleton on fire, which is very metal and a very amazing image. Is that real or is it... So in my, in my brain, there's, like, a dreamscape. Is Lee seeing Joppery's like shaman form in the dreamscape and that's what's happening to Joppery in the dreamscape do you know what I mean does that make any sense yeah that's like so the thing with Joppery being on fire and then being a flaming white skeleton feels like the least literal of the dreams that Lee has because the others include Joppery just having a chat to a spectre and Joppery's demon telling some birds what to do so Joppery being on fire seems like a really odd one yeah yeah it does doesn't it and so the, there's a bit which again can you remember we spoke about sleep paralysis a little while ago on the podcast and there's a bit where in this very first bit lee wakes up he's like looking for hester and it says lee looked for hester in alarm and found her sleeping which never happened for when he was awake so was she so when you found her asleep his laconic whip-tongue demon looking so gentle and vulnerable, he was moved by the strangeness of it, and he lay down uneasily beside her, awake in his dream, but really asleep, and he dreamt he lay awake for a long time. And that is one of the things that is really prominent when I have sleep paralysis. I think that I'm awake, but I'm not, and it's really fucking horrible to be, like, in between being awake and asleep, and like you think you're up and you're moving around and you've escaped the sleep paralysis, but then all of a sudden you're back in it and you can't move. It's fucking horrible. Yeah, it sounds really horrid. I kind of love the wording of it and love the like concept of it, the way that it's just like, it's kind of eerie and it's kind of just a really interesting state to be in, like a dreaming of being awake, but laying and wanting to be asleep kind of thing is just such a, like a contradiction in terms, I guess, almost. It's kind of a cool image. But yeah, the next thing that he dreams is about Grumman having a chat with a spectre who floats up like a bubble. And then Lee is suddenly in the cockpit of a, of a Zeppelin watching a pilot who then gets attacked by a spectre. So that's fun. Fucking brutal. <laughs> the one thing I was going to ask about this as well is why is Lee experiencing this? I have a theory about this that will come up later. <laughs> okay, because my thing, and like, feel free to just bring it up later, but does Joppery need somebody to like anchor him to this specific world that they're in? Like, if he doesn't have someone to anchor him, will like, will he just fucking float off into the magicness of himself? Is that, or is it just because Lee's in the vicinity? So I had a, I was wondering about this and it comes up when a little bit after, after this dream, particular dream finishes. Hester says to Lee, like, damn it, Lee, you're twitching like an aspen leaf. What's the matter with you? And he's like, aren't you dreaming too, Hester? And Hester's like, you ain't dreaming, Lee. You're seeing. If I'd have known you as a seer, I'd have cured you a long while back. Now cut it out, you hear. Which makes me think, like, 
that this is new. This is a very new thing. Lee doesn't have a history of prophetic or seeing dreams. Something in his environment is making him see this. And it's either Grumman wants to be witnessed and is drawing Lee into it. Grumman is like, in some way, drawing power from Lee's presence in some way. Or like, yeah, like you were saying, like using him as an anchor in some way. Or like just the magicalness that is exuding off of Grumman while he's doing his like working these spells is affecting Lee because of his like proximity to Grumman. So I think it's not something that is like within Lee necessarily. I think it's all to do with either Grumman is affecting him or he's just being affected by Grumman's presence. Yeah. Yeah. The anchor theory is a very good one. I hadn't thought of that. I thought maybe Grumman was just being like, you got to watch me do it. <laughs> watch me. Watch me. <laughs> or like zapping power from him in some way and then I was like oh that's a bit mean and leechy and doesn't make sense because he wakes up feeling a little bit refreshed so yeah I wonder whether it's just one of those incidental things as well where like you see it a lot in like pop culture like film tv books where like somebody accidentally gets taken along for the ride just because they happen to be in the vicinity of where something is happening it could just be that as well yeah yeah Lee also has again some sleep paralysis moments during this first bit of dream where he's in the cockpit and witnessing the pilot of the zeppelin getting attacked by a specter um it says Lee pinioned in his dream Lee could neither move nor cry out and he suffered the terror of the pilot as the man became aware of what was happening to him which is terrifying like not being able to move very sleep paralysis again very and then we get to the bit that i compared to dementors in harry potter uh, which is the specter was leaning over the pilot and pressing what would have been its face to his his demon a finch fluttered and shrieked and tried to pull away only to fall half fainting on his on the instrument panel the pilot turned his face to lee and put out a hand but lee had no power of movement the anguish in the man's eyes was wrenching. Something true and living was being drained from him and his demon fluttered weakly and called in a wild high call, but she was dying and then she vanished, but the pilot was still alive. His eyes became filmy and dull and his reaching hand fell back with a limp thud against the throttle. He was alive, but not alive. He was indifferent to everything. That was quite a long paragraph, but it's all horrifying. Yeah, <laughs> spectres of indifference, indifferent to everything. Also, this is all goes back to the comparison to Bolvanga because this is the first person that we've seen from, well, I believe that we've seen from Lyra's world get spectred and it's confirmation that demons die when you get spectred. Yes, yes, that's true. And it kind of reconfirms that connection that we've kind of been feeling between demons and dust. And yeah, it really proves that like the demons are really key to the essence of the person and that that could be what the spectres are after. And so this guy, because he's been spectred, no longer cares about piloting, slash notices that he is a pilot, and so the Zeppelin crashes, which is not... I mean, I guess it's good for them, but it's not good for the man. It's not a nice death, is it, basically? Yeah, yeah. But I'm actually happy that he died rather than having to live being spectred. Yeah. And then another fucking Hester and Lee watch. Hester... He was in the tent safe and Hester nibbled his chin. <sighs> yeah. And that's where she says that he's not dreaming, he's seeing, and he kind of comes to the realisation that he's still in some way asleep and not asleep and seeing and dreaming all at the same time. Because at this point, I think Hester is in the dream. Yeah. 
And then after that, he rubbed her head with his thumb and she shook her ears. Phil, uh, just stop it. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm doing well, thank you. <laughs> we have the third and final dream. Yes. And this is such a strange and unique way to bring down a zeppelin just get a bunch of birds to land on it so weirdly for me it's very very similar (laughs) to a moment in another book series that i read quite a lot which is the tamora pierce series wild magic and there's one of the characters in that her like magic is that she's really connected to nature so quite often when she's in danger accidentally she'll call birds to her aid so if like something is attacking her and it's like a flight something from the air birds will attack it and there's definitely a moment in that when like birds go and attack something she gets really upset because she doesn't want the birds to get hurt and so it makes me think about this where Joppery does not seem to care if the birds get hurt uh it sounds like quite a lot of birds get hurt it's very interesting because these birds clearly must see that Cyan Couture is a demon and not a regular bird and yet they're just like following her cries because she's this really powerful magical bird and cluster all over this zeppelin and like pierce the balloon bag with their claws and but some of them get smashed up by the engines and some of them probably don't manage to fly away and are getting shot at and it just makes me really sad for all the birds (laughs) yeah it it made me think about the tv show and how we completely missed out on this entire bit i'd forgot that it even happened the way that they did lee's death in the tv show the final moments I really, really loved and I'm not shitting on that in any way, but it can't, reading it again makes me think of like when we kept cutting back to like Lee and Joppery like going through the forest and stuff, knowing now again what happens in the book, I'm like, God, they really just did not do any of that at all, did they? Like it wasn't, they cut every single thing out. Like we didn't even get to see like, we got to see Joppery controlling the weather. We didn't get to see, like, any of his, like, other skills or anything. And, like, I understand because, like, it would have been such a massive task for them to do. And maybe it didn't really fit in with, like, how they, the approach that they took. But I was like, wow, we really missed out on all of this shit. Mm, mm-hmm. I guess we kind of missed the section because an episode finishes with the balloon crashing to the earth and you don't know if Joppery and Lee have made it. And then the next episode starts and they're like already hiking right so maybe this bit happened in between episodes yeah (laughs) yeah so basically the birds bring down this other zeppelin bird power bird power (laughs) heatley witnesses the zeppelin crashing and bursting into flames and then wakes up feeling hot like actually wakes up this time but feeling really hot and i wonder if that has anything to do with Joppery being like, oh, you'll be dry by morning because you're going to witness me setting some things on fire and it'll make you warm. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe, yeah, 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 or, yeah. Or whether it's just him feeling hot from like the visionary presence of all the flames and stuff. But it's just, ooh, yeah. At least he's dry now. <laughs> and then like, this is what I mean, like Joppery's asleep next to him. So they've both been asleep. Like, should one of them have not been awake? Like, I understand that like they needed to be asleep for this massive thing to happen but i'm like god surely you should have arranged a watch yeah and also it's interesting because lee mentions that if he's asleep hester's asleep or if he's awake hester's awake which isn't necessarily true for everybody because we know that there was a short period of time in which like pan was asleep but lyra was awake when was it when they were hiding with the egyptians in the first book and pan fell asleep 
I think so. Yeah, I think so. And then there was um, also when Will had that conversation with Pan and like Lyra was lying awake, but I think she was initially asleep. It's not confirmed, I don't think, but yeah. It's just interesting. It is, absolutely. So Lee goes out, lights the fire again. Joppery is like super duper asleep. Like he could he could be dead. He's so asleep. Hester and Lee have a little conversation. And I, I'm not sure like what this means, but Lee says, what now, Hester? Depends. There was four of those Zeppelins and he destroyed three. I mean, have we discharged our duty? What do you think that means is he asking like have they done their job in getting Joppery to where he needed to be because they obviously haven't because they haven't got him to the knife bearer yet so I think it's simultaneously like a well no turning back now conversation and also uh well we were hired as an aeronaut and now the balloon's gone are we no longer useful because we're just an aeronaut maybe it's that conversation but then also it could just be him being like the frying pan's getting really, really hot. Do we really want to jump into the fire? Are we sure? <laughs> yeah, because then it says she flicked her ears and said, don't remember no contract. And then he says, it ain't a contractual thing. It's a moral thing. I'm just not 100% sure what's going on in this conversation. I just think they're like simultaneously, I think he's trying to find a way of talking himself out of it a little bit at the same time as knowing that he can't. You know, when you're like, you know that like backing out now would make you a shitty person, but you're like, but can, can I can I back out now? I really want to back out now. <laughs> I won't, but I would like to. <laughs> There's one Zeppelin left. 30 to 40 men with guns all coming for us. Imperial soldiers, what's more. Survival first, morals later. Joppery and Cyan Kator wake up and Joppery knows that the soldiers are going to burn the forest and they need to get the fuck out of there. I found myself doing a little... A small, a small Google research because uh, Joppery mentions that the soldiers have an engine that throws out a kind of naphtha blended with potash, which ignites when it touches water. The Imperial Navy developed it to use in their war with Nippon. If the forest is saturated, it will catch all the more quickly. So Phil does love to draw a kind of a lot of parallels between other worlds and our world. And I believe um, that this might be a reference to napalm, which is not super fun because it's a horrible, horrible substance that should be banned, but isn't. Napalm is closely associated with the Vietnam War, particularly because of all of the atrocities and the ways in which it was used during that war. And it has actually been used, it, variations on it were used long before and have been used up until quite recently as well. It's not actually outlawed as a weapon of war. It's only outlawed when used against civilian populations. Great, and it's considered a, a war crime by the UN, but only when used against civilians. So that's super fun. Humans' capacity to be terrifying is terrifying. Yep. It's a mixture, it's an incendiary mixture of a gelling agent and a volatile petrochemical, usually gasoline or petrol. Um, it's a portmanteau that consists of the original thickening and gelling agents, a naphthenic acid and palmitic acid and essentially what it does is it creates a substance that burns for a long time and very very hot and it's like a horrible goo and there's like loads of horrible images from all the times that it's been used in warfare and it's basically horrible 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 stuff and it sounds Gross. very similar to what phil is describing here because we know how he loves to pull elements out of other worlds and put them into this world and just it was the fact i think that he particularly mentioned that it was used by the Imperial Navy, which implies magisterium, which implies Western powers against Nippon, which 
in Japanese, Japan is Nippon. So against an Asian culture, kind of like the, the war in Vietnam. And that's what it draws on for me, which is super horrible. And I kind of apologise for bringing it up, but I felt like it was relevant. No, definitely. Ew, people. <sighs> the worst. If we can invent something to hurt people, apparently we just do. Yeah, we, we love to do that. Horrible. They have to go, basically. They have to go. Uh, they have to leave all the balloon and Lee gets his stuff from the balloon that he will need, but he has to actually leave the balloon itself behind. And it says, from now on, he was an aeronaut no more, unless by some miracle he escaped with his life. <laughs> just do, just making the eyes there. And sure. found <laughs> enough money to buy another balloon. Now he had to move like an insect along the surface of the earth. Lee, uh, you're always an aeronaut to us, whether you've got a balloon or not. Yeah, you'll always be balloon dad. Balloon dad. Balloon or no. Yeah. Also, this quote sparked something for me. If anyone knows an earlier quote or reference as to why this feels incredibly familiar to me, please tell me. The insect on this earth thing. Yes. Yeah, it felt familiar to me as well, but I didn't know why. I googled it. At the end of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, the narrator says, and crawling on the planet's face, some insects called the human race, lost in time and lost in space and meaning. Richard O'Brien, Rocky Horror Picture Show. So that's definitely why it resonated for me, because I watched that film a lot as a kid. I don't know why it seemed familiar to me, because I have seen Rocky Horror and I love it, but I don't know it as well as you. So I wouldn't have, that's not a seed that's been sown in my brain. So I don't know why it feels familiar to me. It sounds really familiar and I can't quite work it out. Like, I don't know what other famous quotes it could be influenced by, but it sounds like a really familiar turn of phrase. And I don't necessarily think that's the original one that I'm thinking of. I felt like there was something more classical than that, but we couldn't find it. <laughs> we scooch ahead a little in time and they've been walking for a little bit and they can smell the smoke. So the fire, the, they've lit the fire, the fire is coming for them, it's getting closer. As if these people weren't bad enough. They're perfectly happy starting wildfires. Right? In worlds that have already been massively fucked up because of the Azrael explosion. Let's just like a massive forest fire, shall we? The worst. The worst. They didn't burn them in their sleep, which they definitely could have, so they must want them alive, is the conclusion that they've both drawn. And Joppery breaks off a branch and uses it as a walking stick. And I'd kind of forgotten that he's got like a poorly heart. Mm-hmm. There's a description here of the forest fire that, again, I'm all about the pop culture references today um, because it really resonated with me because it reminded me of Bambi. Bambi, yeah. Uh, when the hunter accidentally sets the forest on fire and they have to flee and it's all the little animals running out of the forest and then they find themselves in like the river and like a little island on the river and it's very cute and then Bambi finds his girlfriend and it's all fine. But yeah, small creatures of the forest, squirrels, birds, wild boar, were fleeing with them and a chorus of squealings shriekings alarm calls of every sort rose around them the two travelers struggled on on towards the edge of the tree line which was not far ahead and then they reached it and a wave after wave of heat rolled up at them from the roaring billows of flame that now reached 50 feet into the air trees blazed like torches the sap in their veins boiled and split them asunder the pitch from the conifers caught like naphtha and the twigs seemed to blossom with ferocious orange flowers all in a moment a very nice, pretty description, Phil. Thanks to describe something utterly horrifying. Oh, <laughs> um, yes, thank but you. But just that entire image, just my brain just went to the that scene in Bambi. It's really long. It's quite slow paced, actually. But like all of the fire animation at the time, I think was really like, it's like when everyone obsessed about the snow in Frozen because it hadn't been done that well before. I think that was the same with the fire in Bambi. People being like, oh, wow, 
they animated this fire and it looks so real. You look at it now and it's, it doesn't look that real, but it's still very atmospheric. <laughs> Whenever I think about that thing that you just said about like uh, the fire looking great back in the day, it makes me think of the water in Moana because they did a really good job on the water in Moana. What I was going to say is I feel that like that is a thing that's been used a lot in pop culture animals fleeing a forest that's on fire because like i was trying to think about where i remembered it from and it probably it probably does come from bambi but i haven't seen bambi in fucking ages and i haven't seen it that much and i feel like there are definitely other moments in other films where it's happened does it happen in watership down it might do there's definitely moments when like it's not necessarily that they're fleeing from fire but like you know something bad is there because like Oh, I'm thinking of Harry Potter again. When the spiders flee <laughs> um, from the basilisk. But yeah, like animals fleeing from a location is a big like no-no sign. Yeah, definitely. They can see the Zeppelin, but it's too far away to see them yet. They're heading towards a dry riverbed because that seems to be the only way out. And then this is when Lee asks <laughs> about Joppa's demon. What are you giggling this, at? This is when Lee thinks it's an appropriate time for a sidebar while yeah. they're fleeing a fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You could have asked them in that two two hour gap while you were flying or while you were supposed to be sleeping. It's not an appropriate time for a sidebar. Joppery doesn't really give him an answer, really, no. again, does he? Like, other than the fact that, like, it seemed like they practised it. Because um, my original thought was like, oh, I wonder, before I got to this bit, I wonder whether his demon can move further away from him because... He is not from the. He's not from Lyra's world, and obviously his demon appeared to him later in life. I wonder if that affects the connection in any way. But then it sounds like they just practiced. Yeah, or that it's a similar thing in terms of like he's a shaman. He's had to learn that from somewhere, probably from one of the many cultures in which he stayed while he was like traveling the world trying to find his way home. Perhaps it's something that's similar to the rites of passage that the witches do um, with their demons. And he's is something intrinsically linked to his shamanism that is, and his like learning of that craft. But he, he's not going to give us a clear answer. So, you know, it's really sassy as well. Like, I get it. Like, it's a great sentiment of just like, oh, for a, for a human being, nothing comes naturally. Because it's true. Like, we literally have to learn to do everything. And also means that all of our bad behaviours are learned. Babies aren't born racist. Um, True. You know? Also, babies aren't born knowing how to see things the right way up. It's a thing, sorry. (laughs) I'm full of baby facts because my friends have just had one. But, like, the reason babies look so confused for the first, like, few weeks of life is because for the first few weeks, they're seeing everything upside down because your eye processes everything upside down and your brain flips it for you to see it the right way up. That's something that gets wired in after you're born. So babies are born seeing things upside down. Please correct me if I'm wrong. This is like a random baby fact from a tired parent, so it could be wrong. <laughs> babies are born, like, not really seeing anything, though, right? They can only see... Like, they can't see colours for a long time. Like, they can only see, like, shadows and movement and shit. In the process of things that they have to learn to do, it's like once they can actually see stuff, they then have to learn to flip it the right way up. <laughs> We're literally born knowing nothing. Also, like... Learning how to roll over from your front to your back is apparently a completely different set of skills to learning to roll over from your back to your front and babies master them at like vastly different times. How fucking weird are babies? Like what goes on inside a baby's head? Do you know what I mean? It's such a strange thing. 
Like, because nobody can remember being a baby. It's like, what is happening in their little heads? Who knows? And just, yeah, so that, like, phrase of, like, nothing comes naturally to humans, he's not wrong. Literally nothing does. We have to learn so much. Like, giraffes fall out from six foot in the air and just start running. And babies <laughs> can't even walk. <laughs> We're not as advanced as uh, other species in terms of like what our babies can do. Yeah, like mobility is not great. No. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Sidewell. Yeah. So they're climbing on. They're climbing on. Hester prefers to make her own way. She's there like finding her footing and stuff, which is really cute. And Lee follows where she leads. Yeah. Of yeah. course. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so Lee's anxious about Dropper now because obviously he's ill anyway and now his energy's been drained from all the like magic he was doing this bit made my fucking stomach drop I don't know about you they've seen us he said and it was like receiving a sentence of death Hester stumbled and even sure-footed firm-hearted Hester stumbled and faltered Grumman leant on the stick he carried and shaded his eyes to look back and Lee turned to look too and so it begins. Yep. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. This is the point at which I've written, it's time to put the book in the freezer. Yeah, yeah. There's the episode of Friends where Joey is reading Little Women and, well, he's been reading The Shining and he puts the book in the freezer when it gets too scary and then Rachel gets him to read Little Women and he walks into the room and he's like, Joey's got sick and I don't think she's going to get better. <laughs> And Rachel's like, do you need to put the book in the freezer? And he's like, yeah, I think I need to put the book in the freezer. Yeah, book needs to go in the freezer. Uh, <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> I'm doing really well, thank you. I don't you. know about you. I'm not tearing up at all. <laughs> it's not got to me yet, but it's coming, don't worry. Zeppelin's descending fast. It's coming down to where they are. It clearly wants to capture them and not kill them. Lots of men are jumping out with wolf demons. And then I was thinking about that and trying to remember, is it the Tartars that have wolf demons? Yeah, at least the ones that are guarding Bolvanger do. Leo and Grumman are like near a ravine and if they get to it, they think like they can try and hold them off, but they only have one rifle to do that. And then Grumman says that they're after him, but I would have thought that they're after Lee. It depends because Lee thinks it's because of the ring, right? Or like Leon has to think it's because of the ring. But also, in general, they stole the balloon because the government had already stolen the balloon from Lee. Or like, I don't know what you call it, acquired it when they were acquiring everything from the town. So they could be just trying to get the stolen balloon back, which seems unlikely because they're in chase into another world. So it could be to do with Grumman, but it seems unlikely. It seems like Grumman's inflating his own self-worth by assuming they're after him. <laughs> it also does seem like a rather large party to chase down one stolen balloon and ring. Very true. And there was a lot of interest in Grumman, I suppose, wasn't there? But yeah, it's interesting. Grumman also at this point says, if you surrender yourself, you'll survive. You'll be a prisoner of war and apologises for not being able to bring down the last Zeppelin. And I feel like he's kind of potentially feeling a little bit of regret for getting Lee into this situation. And obviously Lee stands his ground and says, like, I'm not just going to, you know, I promise to help you do this job. I'm not just going to leave you to it. I'll take the last stand. And also it's a, it's pretty late for a get-out-of-jail-free card. They're already chasing you. I don't I don't think they necessarily would spare him. I don't know. Well, they, they certainly don't. <laughs> True. Yeah, Lee's like, I brought you this far. I ain't going to sit back and let them catch you now. And Lee says, just tell me before you go because I won't be easy till I know 
what side I'm fighting for, I can't tell and I don't greatly care. Just tell me this. What I'm going to do now, is that going to help that little girl Lyra or harm her? It's going to help her, said Grumman. And your oath, you won't forget what you swore to me? I won't forget. Because, Dr Grumman, or John Parry, or whatever name you take up in whatever world you end in, you be aware of this. I love that little child like a daughter. If I'd had a child of my own, I couldn't love her more. And if you break the earth, whatever remains of me will pursue whatever remains of you, and you'll spend the rest of eternity wishing you never existed. That's how important that earth is. I am so here for the you made me a promise and if you don't keep it I will fucking haunt you energy that is in that statement yes I love it (laughs) I love it I love it it's so badass of Lee and also really petty to be like I'm fucking haunt you forever if you don't do this shit will haunt you I will (laughs) I will will. don't test me (laughs) this is the first time and because it's the end because they know they're splitting up that Grumman actually says that he will He's going to honour the earth and protect Lyra. He doesn't do the, oh, it's going to protect everyone business here. Finally, he's saying he's going to do it. Yeah. At the same time, he's not explicitly saying, I will protect that little girl. He's saying, I will keep my oath. I can't remember exactly what oath he made back at the beginning. Yeah, he says it's going to help her, I suppose. And it's the first time he's kind of really mentioned her. It seems a little bit more... It's the most specific I think we're going to get him. But I still think it's still a little bit general for my liking. (laughs) But yeah, it could have been more, definitely. No, I'm not giving it, don't don't get me wrong, I'm not giving him like a super amount of credit here. I'm just saying that like he does because this is getting super duper serious now. Upon threat of being haunted. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's He's finally willing. (laughs) (laughs) He says, I understand and you have my word then that's all I need to know. Go well. The shaman held out his hand and Lee shook it. Then Grumman turned and made his way up the gulch and Lee looked around for the best place to make his stand. So Lee's on his own now. Yep. (laughs) Yep. 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 Hester helps him find where to go near the small boulder, not the big one, so they can't get sneaked up, sneaked up on, snuck up on. And Lee... Okay, just nothing makes you feel like something bad's going to happen, like somebody reminiscing about their childhood when they were young and innocent. I literally had that exact note. I was like, he's talking about his childhood. That's not a good fucking sign, is it? Yeah. And he's remembering playing out the Alamo, uh, taking turns to be Danes and French, which is, again, Philip Pullman making a reference to a battle that exists in our world but that is modified for lyra's world and lyra's world history because the battle of the alamo was like during texas's war for independence from mexico and it was like a 13 day siege so it's quite it's like a very famous thing you can go and visit the alamo we did when i was in texas for my partner's brother's wedding it was one it's one of the things to do if you're in the san antonio area of like if you want to visit a historical building that's that's there and so we did that and it's kind of like there's lots of like famous like American I I hesitate to say war hero because I don't think there is such thing because if you kill people you're not great but it's like famous names like Davy Crockett were involved in that battle and so that's why it's like stood out as like a famous battle and they did it was like a 13 day siege which they eventually lost but then like I think within like two years or later that year they then like won the overall 
war situation battle situation but that was like one thing where it was like oh they held out for a really long time and they lost but then later on they won because it inspired people and it's been it's held up as like a symbol of like the american spirit and stuff but i'm always pretty hesitant to like glorify war type situations a hundred percent it's definitely a story that's for sure so there we go (laughs) so lee's thinking about all this stuff uh hester tells him to stop daydreaming he takes out his mother's ring and puts it on the rock beside him (laughs) just some more things they're gonna make us emotional it's fine (laughs) this is the part where i just turn off my laptop and clear my head internet issues (laughs) it's fine it's fine so the men were finding their spots to shoot at him lee notices that zeppelin's struggling to take off so he shoots at the engine and grounds it there are 25 soldiers and lee has 30 bullets i would like to take this moment to read this description of hester because clearly she is being described in all of her glory for a reason yeah crouched on the gray boulder her ears flat along her back she looked like a little stone herself gray brown and inconspicuous except for her eyes hester was no beauty she was about as plain and scrawny as a hair could be but her eyes were marvelously colored gold hazel flecked with rays of the deepest peat brown and forest green and now those eyes were looking down at the last landscape they'd ever seen it's fine. <laughs> a barren slope of brutal tumbled rocks and beyond it a forest on fire not a blade of grass not a speck of green to rest on here it is flicked slightly it's such a interesting choice for phil to include the line about it being the last landscape they'll ever see because like it's not hopeful for them but when i when i first read the books I was hoping that they were going to survive. Like, I don't even know if I read that properly because I was very shocked when they died at the end of the chapter. hes It's like he's put in an insurance policy for when we're devastated in three pages' time and we're like, you didn't warn us! And he's like, I did warn you. Remember that time when I said it was the last landscape she'd ever see? And we're like, uh, what? Oh. <laughs> Not cool, Phil. <laughs> Not cool. Uh, none of this is cool. This is very traumatic. <sighs> I'm fine. <laughs> god they have a conversation about again lee mentions that he doesn't like taking lives and hester says ours or theirs no it's more than that he said it's theirs or lyra's i can't see how but we're connected to that child and i'm glad of it and then a shootout begins and lee is a very good shot he is and he also doesn't take the first shot he's feeling hesitant about shooting and someone else shoots at him and he's like well, that makes me feel better about doing this and then start shooting. And I kind of like that he's unwilling to take the first shot. I think that's kind of like a... I mean, obviously it doesn't count for much because then obviously he does do a bunch of shooting. But like, it's... um, He only shoots when he has to. It becomes self-defense at the point in which he's already been shot at, basically. He realizes that he is wounded. Hester says it's nothing big, like a bullet's just clipped your scalp. She tells him to reload... He holds himself back into position and before he'd set his eye to to the sight, he took a bullet. That's fine. Okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah, the boulder that Lee is hiding behind is soon like scarred and pitted and he's it just sounds like a real, just like a real kerfuffle of like there's so much going on you can't register a lot of it. Lee finds that he's wounded and there's blood on his cheek and he has to like spit on the rifle mechanism to make it work again. And 
that thing of like not noticing you've been hurt until after the fact because you're so like in a shock slash in the moment and um there's some great little descriptions of the pain that he's not feeling there is a great deal of pain waiting to spring on him but it hasn't raised the courage yet and that thought gave him the strength to focus his mind on shooting again it's going to be described later as a pack of coyotes or something rounding in on him and that description of the pain being something that's being kept at bay by the adrenaline is quite an interesting description but then also quite menacing and foreboding these last moments between Hester and Lee really just really fucking show like how much of a great team they are. And again, like I think I've said this a few times, but truly the best for me demon and human pairing of the whole entirety of the books. Like there's no other demon and human pair that would be this quick on their feet together and that know each other so well because they've been on their own together for so many years. Like, when you think about Lyra and Pan and, like, the back and forth, and I know that Lyra's still only a child, but the back and forth arguments they have compared to Lee and Hester, who obviously will have a bit of back and forth, but they listen to each other so quickly and intently that they just do what the other one says immediately. They don't think about it. Yeah, they're so in sync. Lee gets shot in the shoulder and... Phil describes Lee's arm as dead and useless that had been so full of life a minute ago. With these morbid descriptions. So full of life. (laughs) (sighs) And Lee's shooting. And there's, yeah, the back and forth that they have between them is really interesting because at the moment, Hester is egging him on. Um, So he's like, how are we doing? She's like, good shooting, don't stop, over by the boulder. And he shoots again and he's like, damn, these men are like me. And she's like... Makes no sense. Do it anyway, because she's just like, we just have to get through this. Lee's like, do you believe him, Grumman? And Hester's like, sure, plumb ahead, Lee. And she's just trying to get him through. She's being the, like, driving force and he's questioning. And that's almost immediately within a paragraph flips because Lee goes in his pocket and feels something he hasn't felt before, which is Hester's face pressed against his own, wet with tears because now she's doubting and she says that it's all her fault because she told him to take the ring and without that we'd never be in trouble and he says do you think I ever did what you told me (laughs) I did it because of the witch and like so it's just really sweet the way that they're like flipping between one's got the doubt and one's got the certainty and vice versa and like bolstering each other and reassuring each other every step of the way um He doesn't finish his sentence because he gets shot in the leg, but that's fine. (laughs) This is is a bit where it always takes a turn for me as well. Like, as soon as Hester falters, I'm like, fuck, this is... This begins my descent into tears. I... I I can't. (laughs) This is the point where we not only have to put the book in the freezer, but we have to, like, lock it in a box and then put the box in the freezer. (laughs) Yeah. That way the sads can't get us. They remember Serafina gave them the flower and Hester fetches it from Lee's pocket because Lee can't move. I'm so sorry. Before that, it says, poor Hester, she was lying now, not crouching, tense and watchful as she'd always done his adult life. Um, And her beautiful gold brown eyes were growing dull. And Lee just says, still beautiful. Oh, it didn't hit me that that's what that was about that he like looked at her eyes and said like still beautiful even though (sighs) i'm fine um yeah 
Yeah, because you think it might be about the witch, right? Because he says, do you remember the witch? And then he says, still beautiful, which might make sense if it was someone he knew a long time ago, because I hadn't necessarily put that together, but it makes a lot of sense. Like, my brain was avoiding that, um, and that he was talking about Hester's eyes. I think this bit really fucking hits me right in the feels as well with, Seraphina Pecola, help me, I beg, I beg. I am, oh, for fuck's sake, right. We're just struggling. We're struggling because literally this is the point at which my, this is how I got to like 53 notes because every other sentence is a piece of my heart taken away. (laughs) Um, Because literally the next thing that's said is Lee saying, Hester, don't you go before I do. I, one of the reasons why I was worried about getting to this chapter is because I genuinely don't really know what to say. I don't have any like, analysis of this other than it's utterly devastating so like every line that we're reading I don't really have anything to add other than it's literally murdered a part of my soul like I (laughs) it's one of the most impactful chapters of a book I've ever read it's one of the best deaths I've ever read one of the most really traumatic terribly sad deaths that I've ever read and I think that that comes from having a demon because if you're following a character in any other book and they die they're not having a conversation with themselves about how they're dying you know what I mean they are just there's one of them there's not two of them and I think having two parts of one's self to talk to when they're dying is a whole new level of sadness and trauma and horrificness for the people reading it. Yeah, I agree with you. My notes are mostly just crying faces at this point. Yeah, I've descended into that also in my notes. So, Hester, don't you go before I do, Lee whispered. Lee, I couldn't abide to be anywhere anywhere away from you for a single second, she whispered back. You think the witch will come? Sure she will. We should have called her before. We should have done a lot of things. Maybe so. And then another crack, and this time the bullet went deep somewhere inside, seeking out the centre of his life. He thought, it won't find it there. Hester's my (sighs) centre. Yeah, so that's like three devastating sentences, one after another. I love it. I love it as a sentiment. Hester is his centre, and that's the like ultimate like sentiment there of like what a demon is, what a demon does. Just Lee being mushy because you never see it until right now. I can't believe that Lee is even still fucking finding, and I know it's hard for him to do it, but he does find the strength to pull the trigger again and it says like you said earlier the pain was losing its fear of him it was like a pack of jackals circling sniffing treading closer and they knew he knew they wouldn't leave him now till they'd eaten him bare Lee. i really like this and i chose to read it as humorous i don't know if like everybody else did but like the bit here where um they see like one of the last soldiers that was there shooting at him heading back 
And Lee says, I can't shoot a man in the back. And Hester says, shame to die with one bullet left there. I love that so much. <laughs> yeah, I love it so much. And I, ch- I chose to, re- to read it with like a... One last bit of humour. Yeah. Sorry, I just had a moment of uh, two little links going together in my brain. Um, when you were talking, when you read the pain being like a pack of jackals circling. And I was like, that's interesting. Why did he pick jackals? He's barely mentioned jackals before, but... Anubis is the Egyptian jackal god and is the god of the dead. So I wonder if he's specifically, because Phil's quite good at picking animals for occasions. So I wonder if he's specifically picked jackals because it is like, it's not only the pain circling, but it's death circling. Maybe. Yes. I love that he's unwilling to shoot someone in the back, but is willing to kill six people by shooting a blimp. Yeah. I feel it feels less personal though, doesn't it, to do that? It does, yeah. Yeah. So he uses his last bullet to shoot at the last airship everybody left is engulfed by that fire so all of the like the rest of the enemies are gone they're done so and i (laughs) i can't i don't um hester says that's all of them lee and even though these people have literally killed him lee is still full of regret at the situation and says it didn't have to come to this those poor men didn't have to come to this and nor did we because he's just such a good guy. <laughs> she said, we held him off. We held out. We're a helping Lyra. Then she was pressing her little proud broken self against his face as close as she could get. And then they died. And I am crying. <laughs> Me too. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> That's that chapter. That is possibly the most beautifully written death I think I've ever read and the most emotionally eviscerating (laughs) death I've ever read I love that Hester is the last one to speak and that it's that sentiment and it kind of brings us always back to his purpose and that they're together I don't know what to say I'm just like it's gonna be fun cutting all the snotty sniffs out of this edit (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm just so fucking devastated. I'm just truly heartbroken. I I can't... I, I just don't know what to say. <laughs> I'm just so sad. So, things I am grateful for in this chapter is that it wasn't just airship fight scene done. We got quite a lot of Lee. I feel like there's only been... Is it three or four chapters in the whole book that have Lee Scoresby in them? because we're kind of catching up with Lee sporadically. And I love that this chapter was like, we want to make it a really big chapter to give you as much time with Lee and Hester as we can before we're going to break your hearts. Yeah, that's very true. I'm glad we got that time with them. It doesn't feel like we've had enough time with them, though at all, does it, in general? It's taken us... What we started Northern Lights in October 2019. So we're like almost a year, or like a year and a half into this like podcasting journey. We've had a year and a half-ish with Lee Scoresby, but it still feels like it's too soon. Yeah. The way that it's written will never feel like it's not too soon, (laughs) to be honest. I think it's ridiculously well done. Yeah, it's possibly the most devastating book death I've ever read. And it's really sad now. On the note of being sad, we do have 
a little surprise for everybody. We were so sad that we thought we'd try and make everybody else cry too. (laughs) Yeah, we wrote a song. We wrote a song with Johnny, who does our theme music, all about Lee, and we're going to play it for you in a second. And I am so proud of it. I think that it is very sad, very cathartic. I'm very thankful that we did it I think I was very scared of doing it obviously Johnny helped Johnny is a musician Johnny helped so much and Johnny is is great with lyrics etc but it was a new thing for us both to do and I think that I think that we did we did a good job I think so I think it was definitely a cathartic process um putting our feelings into words to to music and I really hope that you guys like it and apologies in advance if it makes you cry we shall play it for you right now when you met Liva you promised to fly her Never imagined the places you'd go Signed up as a fighter and left as a father You can't explain why and you may never know Here's two old friends And the words you never have to say You're protected By your armor every single Forever you fight and you fly Balloon die Yet somehow you always get by again Wherever you find it The place you give help Is where it's needed the most You travelled this world And then left it behind you A stranger to guide you A heart full of hope And thanks to Hester You never had to do it on your own She'll protect you When you head into the great unknown Forever you fight and you fly Balloon die Yet somehow you always get by But how did it come to this? We held them off Shouldn't have come to this Balloon die 
fly where you fought and you flew balloons I we don't want to say our goodbyes to you Thank you johnny for helping us write that song and put that together we provided sentiments and some lyrics and johnny provided all of the musical skill and talent and recording and everything yes absolutely if you would like to own that song it is up on patreon now for any uh, patrons at any level so it's up there now and you can download it and listen to it and keep it forever um, we hope you enjoy it. We put a lot of um, time and love into it. Yeah, we're very proud of it and hope you hope it helps in some way with the death of our beloved Balloon Dad. Balloon Dad. Balloon Dad. So we got through that chapter. We did. We got through writing a song about our favourite character. We did who we lost in that chapter it is now the end of the episode and i guess i have to ask you if you have an award to give out this week any guesses as to who it might be uh, it's joppery lol kidding obviously it's lee and hester how could it be for anybody else yep sames i'll give one to lee you give one to hester or vice versa and no they both deserve two awards each yeah both give them to Leon Hester what a character what a chapter can you believe that we're so the next chapter is the last chapter of this all night we're nearly done do you want to know what it's called yes please it's called blood moss oh your favorite thing my favorite thing it's sphagnum yeah god we're nearly at the amber spyglass jesus christ Mm. never thought we'd get there yeah, I'm was, I was struggling with words. <laughs> I feel like we're both in a bit of shock. I'm not going to lie. I mean, we literally, I've never had to read out loud that section of the book before. Or even listening to it on the audiobook is not the same as having your friend read it out to you. Oh. <laughs> oh. I feel like the Discord over the next few days after this episode comes out is essentially going to be like a big old support group where we all chat about how much we love Lee Scoresby and how sad we are. So if you want to become a patron and join us on the Discord to talk about how sad we are, we talk about other happy things too. If anyone has a meme to lighten the moment, I'd love it. (laughs) It's patreon.com forward slash hdmpod and the song will be there as well as we mentioned. But yeah, we did it, I suppose. Like, I don't know. I don't know how enjoyable this episode is going to be, but we did it. I hope it's kind of fun. We did some like pop culture segues and um, small amounts of research in amongst all the crying. So hopefully it wasn't just listening to two people being sad, but also an episode like this needed for it to just be two people being sad. So here we are. (laughs) Yeah, we only completely lost it at the very end. I feel like that's quite an achievement. (laughs) And like three times yesterday and once this morning, but that's yeah. fine. <laughs> if you would like to help pay us for our emotional labour and tears, 
We would love it if you would leave us a review. We're running it. We're still running our competition whereby if you leave us a positive review and screenshot that and email it to us at her.materialspod at gmail.com. When we get 50 of those emails, we'll put everybody in a hat and pull 10 names out. 10 people will get some super fun bookmarks and one person will get the full HDM merch pack, which has stickers and bookmarks in it. And it's super cool. Yes. Yes. It really helps other people to find the podcast. It really helps us in like ratings and getting found and all of the scary internet stuff that we don't particularly understand. So hopefully you'll do that because we bloody love receiving those emails just like most emails (laughs) definitely Uh, yeah please give us five stars also if you can't leave us a review or don't want to maybe recommend us to a friend give us a shout out on social media all those things really help and uh, we'd really appreciate it Thanks so much for listening to this very sad episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us crying on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at HDMPod. And you can email us at herdotmaterialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rach. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm Faye and when I'm not crying hysterically about Lee and Hester, you can find me probably crying on Twitter and Instagram at Faye which is F-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y. And if you want to read some of my old blog posts, I'm on Medium at Faye.ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not being reduced to tears by the written word, I am usually making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at Rachmakes, on Twitter at Rach underscore makes, and over in my online shop, rachmakes.co.uk. A huge, huge extra big thank you to Johnny Knott this week for his musical stylings in all of the ways. Yes. We'll see you in two weeks' time. And don't forget... Keep telling stories. And all will be well. Will it? <laughs> Will it? I don't know. Uh, by this time next week, I might have stopped crying. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Go get a nice warm drink and a cuddle. Yeah, we love you, Lee and Hester. <laughs> <laughs>